everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Panda Pod. Tis December. May I say happy holidays if you celebrate any of the like million holidays that happen sometimes between Thanksgiving and New Year's, whatever that is for you. I am one of your hosts, Michelle Bishop, the Voter Access and Engagement Manager at NDRN. And I'm Stephanie Flint, one of your hosts as well, Public Policy Analyst here at NDRN. The amazing Justice Shorter is still on hiatus, so we actually have another guest host with us this month, Latoya. Please introduce yourself to the people. Hey, y'all. I am Latoya Blizzard. I am the Fiscal and Management Training and Technical Assistance Specialist. Say that five times fast. And just a fun fact, one of the best things that I celebrate in December is me because it's my birthday month. So happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, LaToya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And my daughter's birthday and my dad's birthday. Like we celebrate literally all month, but I'm right in the middle of December. So I I don't have much money by the time January hits, but... You and everybody else. (laughs) Well, we do have a very special guest who's going to be joining us later in the episode. Marlena Sayo, our new executive director at NDRN, is going to be talking a little bit about her background with the network and giving us a sneak peek of her plans for the future of NDRN and the PNAs. But before we get into that, I have he's yelled at me before for not introducing him. Let's introduce our producer, Jack Rosen from NDRN. And Jack, what news stories do you have for us this month? Hello, this is Jack Rosen. I am the producer for the PandaPod, and I'm here to share what's in the news. First up, disability advocates have been criticizing the media coverage surrounding Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman, who is a stroke survivor. Critics within the disability community have been saying that the coverage of him has been ableist, uh, particularly the coverage around the use of closed captions. I mean, yeah, it's like the definition of ableist, right? (laughs) Is it just me? Yeah, no, it definitely is. You know, it, it definitely, it seems like the focus really and truly is just on his disability rather than his platform and whatever else. You know, when you see Fetterman in the media, that's all you're seeing. You're just seeing disability. You're just seeing his disability being questioned. And I think for us, it's just a reminder that there's still a lot for us to do. And, you know, while we've come a long way in some ways in society, we haven't a long way in others because of, for starters, they're questioning his fitness for office, which that's kind of disgusting that they're doing that based on disability solely. Well, and a lot of people have a stroke and go back to work. I mean, what do people think a stroke is? It doesn't mean that you're not necessarily not qualified to do your job anymore. Right. Even if you maybe just communicate differently. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, wait, it's a good thing Latoya is here because Latoya knows a lot about employment. Because I am employed, yes. So I do know a lot about employment. But, you know, first I just have to say that, you know, in following particularly this state and the Fetterman Oz running, I think that it has become this, and I don't like to use this word, but like this spectacle. And I don't know that people have really been taking it as seriously as they should. I like how you refer to it as basically being like elections theater. And I'm going to start stealing that and using that in the future. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Jack, what else do we have in the news these days? Workers, employers struggle as long COVID sidelines thousands of Wisconsinites. 
Yeah. So I got to say, that's probably not just in Wisconsin. I think COVID has definitely worked through the workforce and that it has taken down staff. And, you know, COVID is a it's a tough thing to bounce back from. Right. Like speaking as a person that's had COVID twice, it is not it was not as easy as I thought it would be to just get back up and get back into my normal routine, particularly when it came back to work. So I get that long COVID is a real thing. Like COVID fatigue is real. I think I still have some COVID fatigue. Um, I agree. But I think also, I mean, I was I was looking at this article as well. And the government accountability office is saying that somewhere from like eight to 23 million Americans nationwide probably have long COVID. I mean, that's a big dent in the workforce. And I mean, long COVID strikes me as kind of an obvious this would be covered as a disability under ADA protections. Yeah. I think that it's something to really be considered. I mean, COVID is new for us. So we've never, we've never had to encounter this and what the effects of it are. So I think we're going to be dealing with this for a long time to determine how we view it and if we could, should, would view it as a disability. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's one thing that we were talking about a little bit more in 2020 when I guess you could say that the pandemic was more of a conversation piece. Of course, you know, we still talk about it some in 2022, but it's not, we don't talk about it as much as we did in 2020. And I think with the, I think with less conversations about it, we've been talking about long-term COVID effects less and less and less. Like I can tell y'all right now, I'm with LaToya and Michelle. I literally, it literally took me three weeks to not have to take a nap at least once a day after COVID. Like it was, it was just a thing. So I low-key think that I may have had long COVID before COVID was a thing because I struggle with getting to the work day anyway without <laughs> <laughs> <wanting> a nap. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Jack, what else do we have in the news? So Disability Rights Michigan created a page for the public to track their litigation. Uh, You can find that at www.drmich.org backslash services backslash advocacy dash litigation. I love this. I wish all the PNAs would do this. Um, you know, shout out to Disability Rights Michigan. We'll include the link when we push out this episode as well for you guys to check out. Cause I just don't know that our network gets enough credit for the litigation work that we do. I think there's um you know, I even talk to people I know who uh you personally like outside of work, right? Who are familiar with some of our like major legal victories. And I don't think they even know it was the PNA that did it. I love this idea of just like putting putting our work out there. Shout out to Michigan for tooting their own horn on this one. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I love that this resource is something that hopefully other PNA agencies can kind of use as a model and hopefully create similar resources. It's like you were saying, Michelle. I feel like the PNAs don't often get enough credit for 
for the legal victories that that the network gets. And so I think that that is super, super important. And I think that having that as a resource not only helps with credit, but also just helps the general public, whether it be folks in the PNA state or whether it just be people in general who are doing research, you know, keep track of legal matters when it comes to the protection and advocacy agencies. Agreed, Stephanie. I think that this website that they've put together is definitely going to be something that can be used all over, right? And as we we do more systemic work. And even as the PNAs come together and collaborate, we already know that, you know, there's standings that are available. There's legislation that's already out there and we can easily get to it without having to dig too far into a book. We could just go to the website and get the information that we need. I'm here for it, y'all. Well, shall we turn our attention to Marlena and have a conversation with our new executive director? You guys ready? Let's Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. Alrighty, so we actually have a very special guest with us right now on the NDRN podcast. Um, we actually have a new executive director for those of you who may be lying underneath a rock. She joined us back in October, Marlena Sayo. Uh, Marlena is the first woman and the first Latina and uh, first person with a disability to lead NDRN. Prior to joining NDRN, she served as the Director of Preventing Targeted Violence at the McCain Institute for International Leadership. She previously served for almost four years as the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Disability Law Center. Marlena was appointed by President Obama to serve as the Staff Director for the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights in 2013. She later worked for the Obama administration at the U.S. Department of Justice Community Relations Service as Chief of Staff and Senior Counsel. She has a BA from Manhattanville College and a JD from Florida State University. Marlena, thank you so, so much for joining us. We are super, super happy to speak with you today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for hosting me today on your podcast. I look forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Michelle for our first question. So Marley, you're actually no stranger to the network. Can you tell us a little bit about your history with the PNAs? Absolutely. I joined the Florida PNA back in 2007, and I served as an education attorney with the Florida PNA. Loved that job while I was there. Uh, actually set up an educational advocacy program in the Unified Family Court. Uh, to advocate for uh, youth who are going through either the child welfare and or the juvenile justice system, who also had an IEP and required special services to advocate on their behalf in the courtroom. I ultimately relocated to South Carolina and left the PNA system and then came back full circle and became the executive director of the Massachusetts PNA in March of 2018, where I served for uh, almost four years there. A great job, uh, but unfortunately, I had to leave Massachusetts and return to Washington, D.C. And now I am here at NDRN. So I bring the experience at uh, the staff level as well as an ED level from one of the PNAs. Uh, and I bring all of that to the table now serving as the ED for NDRN. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so, so much for sharing that with us. So one thing that we have been very fortunate 
to witness as staff is to see you know, the enthusiasm that you have about the network and about, and about your new role here at the network. So I would love for you to kind of talk about that a little bit more on uh, the podcast for our listeners. You know, what about the network really gets you going? You know, what sparks your passion for disability rights work? My passion was originally sparked as a result of my serving as a special education teacher, which ultimately got me into the advocacy realm. Um, even when I went to law school, I knew that I wanted to represent the rights of youth with special education needs. So I worked very closely on to represent the rights of uh, duly involved youth uh, going through not only the child welfare system, but the juvenile justice system. And I found my sweet spot when I joined the Florida PNA in their education advocacy department. I was able to bring uh, that experience and my passion for representing youth as a, an appointed uh, defense attorney or even as a state appointed child welfare attorney uh, to the PNA. And there I was exposed to so many great advocates and litigation attorneys that had the same passion that I had, which was to advocate for the rights of all youth with disabilities across the US. And how could we really join forces and amplify the work that we were doing? That is the passion that I bring uh, to the table here at NDRN, but more so it's the ability to see the great work that's being done on the ground across all 57 PNAs where I know that we're all fighting for the same thing, is to ensure that the rights of people with disabilities are enforced, uh, to amplify the great work that each of us is doing in our respective states, and to also make sure that we are the voice, at least from an NDRN perspective, up on the hill, uh, to ensure that the protections continue to remain in effect, and that any protections that currently exist for people within our community are expanded upon. Um, and then let's work to ensure that other protections are put in play. So I believe that we're all working for the same objective. We're all working to improve outcomes. And at the same time, we all bring that same passion based on our specific areas that we're working on. But it's it's a big family. In, the way that I view it. And that's what makes me the most passionate is that I come to work every day knowing that we're all in this together and we all have the same vision um, and the same passion to advocate for the rights of all people with disabilities nationwide. Yes. Get the people fired up for disability rights this morning. I love it. Um, but let's keep it real for a moment. NDRN getting a new executive director is kind of a big deal. The Kurt Decker finally retiring is kind of the end of an era. I still talk to people every day who are surprised he actually finally took that leap and retired. Kurt, I hope you're on a cruise ship somewhere right now living your best life. Um, but do you feel kind of, does this moment feel significant to you as you step into this role? It is extremely significant. And might I add that I did uh, meet with Kurt um, in September and Kurt had just returned from a cruise. So we know he's living his best life. <laughs> That's amazing. It is extremely significant because I understand the significant role that Kurt played in the establishment of NDRN. 
and all of the contributions that he's made uh, for the past almost 40 years, you can't take that away from him. And so I'm honored to be able to continue the work that he's done and to build upon it. I don't believe it hit me just how significant it was until recently. And then it was like, whoa, like this is bigger than I allowed myself to envision it was. And I think that's a good thing. If I had really pondered about how significant this position is, I might have been a bit more nervous than I was <laughs> during the interview process, right? But I felt comfortable in the sense that I had been part of this network and it felt like coming home. And so the significance is that I am following all the great work that Kurt has done. And I'm I'm being given the honor to continue leading the charge as it applies to the great work that all of the advocates across the U.S. are doing. But at the same time, I understand that being the first woman, Latina, and first person with a disability leading this organization also adds an additional layer of just knowing that I have work to, to do and there are people out there that are, are looking to see how I navigate these waters and how I best represent them. And I am honored to be able to lead NDRN and I give my all and will continue to give my all every day to ensure that I amplify the work of all of the PNAs, but at the same time, I'm advocating for the rights of all people with disabilities. That That is awesome. So, you know, it, it's been really, really cool to see, you know, the values that you hold for this organization and how you've been so far working to help inspire the staff and your collaborative approach. And, and that's just been really, really cool to see. I know our listeners are probably curious about this, and I'm not totally sure how much you can share. But of course, we would love to know about any big plans you might have. If you can give us a sneak peek, like a preview of any changes or new projects that you're hoping to see through fruition, just different things that, that you may want to take on in the next few months. Well, the thoughts continue to brew and the plans continue to slowly manifest themselves. But what I will say is that I bring a certain passion for certain issues that I would really like to continue working on. I am a big proponent of universal design. And so how do I weave that into the work that we will be doing moving forward is something that I'm currently debating. I am a big proponent of voter protection. And so I know that we're big in doing that work. How do I keep supporting that and expanding upon it? And I am extremely concerned about the other side of COVID. If we can even say we're on the other side, how that is affecting short term and long term access to healthcare. And just from a public health perspective, how do we plan accordingly so that we can respond quicker and in a more uniform fashion? If sometime in the near future, we have another virus or another outbreak or another activity that happens within the public health realm, that affects our community in a negative manner. And so how do we prepare for that? How do we forecast what the future may hold for us moving forward? And how do we prepare accordingly, not only at NDRN, but across the network? And so all of those things remain front and center in my mind. In the next few months, I will be weaving that into a, a work plan. And if you join us at the annual conference that we will be having next year, I will be unveiling my thoughts and my objectives for NDRN moving forward. That's exciting. I love the plug for the annual conference. Yes, everyone, please come and join us. 
This has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We're so happy to get to help introduce you to the network. Is there just anything else, any other messages that you'd like our listeners to hear today, knowing that the folks who check out this podcast are working at the PNAs all over the country? I just say thank you for all the work that you do on a daily basis to advocate for the rights of people with disabilities. I am here to support you. I'm here to amplify the work you're doing. And just know that we all know, but we continue to let the public know that disability rights is civil rights. And as long as we work together to bring that forward, we will be able to continue doing the great work that we're doing and amplify and build upon what we've done thus far. And I look forward to working side by side with you on this continuous advocacy journey. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on the Panda Pod. We loved having you. And of course, if you ever want to come back and talk about any of these issues, you know you're welcome anytime now. Yes. Thank you. I will be reaching out. (laughs) (laughs) We love it. We're always looking for new topics to talk about on the Panda Pod. Thanks so much. So every month on this podcast, we have a spotlight story where we look for people with disabilities to tell their own stories about our our struggles in the disability rights movement. And this month, y'all, we have a very important, but a bit of a sobering spotlight story. Recently, if you haven't heard, Lois Curtis actually passed away uh, a really important figure in the disability rights movement. Uh, Lois, you will be missed for sure. Uh, For people who don't know her story, we actually asked Elizabeth Prio from NDRN to join us this episode as our resident expert on Olmstead. Is that true, Elizabeth? Did I just make that up? I love being called a resident expert uh, on Olmstead. I am our resident expert, and I've been very lucky to know the story of Lois Curtis and Elaine Wilson. Can you tell us a little bit more about Lois's role in in Olmstead and what that meant for the disability rights community? Sure, absolutely. Lois Curtis and Elaine Wilson were living, they both had intellectual disabilities and mental illness diagnoses, and they were living in an institution, and they had lived there most of their lives. They became aware of a group of people in Atlanta or in Georgia, where they were, who were able to get community-based services. And they checked with their medical professionals, and the medical professionals said, you would be absolutely appropriate for community-based services. But when they requested it of the state of Georgia, Georgia said, if you want to keep receiving Medicaid, you have to you have to live in, in an institution. And they said, well, why are some people living in the community and receiving Olmstead? And the state said, well, we just have a very small program. So Lois Curtis and Elaine Wilson were identified by the Atlanta Legal Aid Society. And, and they said, you know, I'd like to live in the community. My doctor says I'm appropriate for the community. And they're telling me that if I want to stay on Medicaid, I have to stay in this hospital. And Sue Jamison from Atlanta Legal Aid and her staff said, well, we can we can work to get you out. Well, as in most states, there's a long waiting list for community-based services in Georgia, and it, it didn't look good. And, and what Atlanta Legal Aid did was say, you know, you should expand your community-based program so more people could go in the community. And the state said, you know, uh, it's we, we don't have the funding for that. It's not how we run our program. And they went to uh, court. They filed a civil action, not even a class action, civil action on, on behalf of uh, both Lois Curtis and Elaine Wilson. 
and and they argued that the Americans with Disabilities Act says that programs and services should be run so that individuals can live in the most integrated settings appropriate to their needs. So it was a violation of the ADA to not provide more programs in the community. So their case went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Department of Justice uh, filed on behalf of uh, Lois Curtis and Elaine Wilson. And what was so wonderful about this was I think that in the beginning, there were 28 states that sided with Georgia, that the Americans with Disabilities Act did not require the states to provide more services in the community or services in the most integrated setting. And because of tremendous grassroots organization and national disability rights was part of this, almost every national disability uh, agency that you can think of was a part of the grassroots and National Disability Rights Network signed on to an amicus uh, that was filed by different uh, state attorney generals even in support of their arguments. And as a result of this grassroots, uh, a, a very large percentage of state attorney generals um, decided to come off the brief in support of Georgia. So this, this showed the power of the disability community. And that's one of the things I love when I think about Olmstead VLC. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And uh, in a six to three ruling, Supreme Court said, yes, uh, the state is to, uh, required to provide services in the most integrated setting appropriate. However, uh, there is a provision in the ADA that says that if a state can show it is a fundamental alteration and it disrupts the state's ability to provide services to the whole disability community equally, then they can argue that it is not something they need to do. And what Justice Ruth Barry Ginsburg said in her opinion was, we understand that the state won't be able to instantly move people out into the community. We don't have the infrastructure for that yet. We need to develop programs and services. So we will allow states to develop a plan for how they are going to move people out at a reasonable pace and develop the community services necessary so that people could live safely in the community. So it, that is the story of Olmstead. And one of the reasons that I love to think about Lewis Curtis and Elaine Wilson were they were African-American women from the South who just pushed and pushed and said, well, why can they and not us? And to me, that is, well, why can the people live in the community and not us? Why is it such a small amount? That to me is the definition of somebody standing up for their rights and asking why is the world the way it is? It doesn't need to be this way. So I, I think about her and Lois, and I think about the grassroots that made this decision come about. And sometimes I like to think about what the world would be if there hadn't been courageous people to bring Olmstead VLC. We wouldn't have the expansion of community-based services that so many uh, of us rely on the past 20 years. That's incredible. I mean, that's just truly life-changing for so many people with disabilities. Actually, and we talked to Lois, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, two years ago when we did our Disability Rights in Black series on social media for Black History Month, um, we talked to Lois. I think we have a clip. We do. Uh, let me play that for you. My name is Lois Carter Happy uh, Black History Month. I'm glad to be free. Shout out to Lois. Um, for being a trailblazer for people with disabilities. I think that 
as I was reading and thinking this, you know, it's a part of history, you know, the disability rights history. But at the same time, that was not that long ago. Like we're talking, what, 1999? Not that long ago that the judge, the judges decided that, oh, yeah, you should have space in the community to live. And it's, you know, it's it's beyond me to think that just, what, 20, 23 years ago that we were thinking about that? Like 23 years ago, I was in college and I had no idea that all of this was going on around me. So shout out to Lois for advocating for herself, for sticking it through and truly overcoming all the obstacles of being a Black woman in the South with disabilities but still wanting a better life for herself and not just conceding to the, well, this is just the way it has to be. So all she put out there was, I am glad to be free. If she didn't pick the single most important thing she could have said, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm not crying. You're crying, LaToya, whatever. I'm fine. (laughs) I feel like that honestly sums up the accomplishments, the grassroots accomplishments of Lois and Elaine perfectly. I feel like, I, I feel like those two words, that sentence is just, the perfect summary. And it's the sentiment of so many others that were impacted by this decision. Honestly, y'all, I think this is the perfect way to pay tribute to someone who was part of such an instrumental change for so many people with disabilities. And other than that, roll into the holidays and come back after the new year with a new episode of our podcast and a renewed fire to make sure everyone is free because none of us are free until all of us are free. So thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Feel free to invite me back anytime. Latoya, it was such a blast to have you on the show. And I'm so glad we talked about issues around work and employment. And you are my guru for all things good leadership and management. So it was so cool to have you here. You're so sweet. I'm sending you hearts right now. You can't see it, but I'm actively sending you hearts. So Latoya, I can (laughs) see it with my mind's eye. I can feel if you also don't know, Latoya is basically my like unwitting life coach at this point if you you ever go to like her workshops at the annual conference and she'll do this great stuff about like work-life balance and like mindfulness and now she's uh she doesn't know that she's my life coach but she is so speaking of sweet things can i tell a joke please oh no Oh, yay. See, LaToya likes my jokes. This is why she can come back anytime. (laughs) Yes, that is a requirement if you're going to guest host. Anyway. It is with the joke. What do you get blind people for the holidays? What? Candy canes. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. (laughs) Are you not sorry? Uh, do it to put a disclaimer on that one for our listeners. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Given that this is an audio only broadcast, I just want to go ahead and make sure all of our listeners know that Stephanie is blind. So she has somewhat of a past to tell that joke. All right. Don't add us. Don't send us angry emails. Oh gosh. Yes. And very blind. If you need proof, we'll figure out how to get it to you. That reminds me, I think our new email is up and running, y'all. We have an email address, uh, podcast at ndrn.org. So if you have ideas for future episodes or you want to be featured as a guest on our podcast, feel free to email us, podcast at ndrn.org. And shout out to you, Michelle and Stephanie, for holding down the podcast. It's been great for sure. Well, now you're going to have to come back. You're yes. coming back, Latoya. I'm listen. I'm trying to butter you up. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get a spot here. Are you trying to get a gig? 
<laughs> was this an audition? Consider hey, yourself Loki, hired. Loki. I got my <laughs> I got my podcast voiced on and everything. So I'm ready for it. Y'all email us about like whether you want Latoya on the podcast, also known as email us if you know that Latoya should come back. If you don't, then don't eat them us. I know we don't accept Latoya hate in our email. Yeah, exactly. No negative emails, please. Only good vibes. Only good vibes in our email. And what about our socials, Jack? Hit us with the social media. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also follow us on TikTok, but we do not post there currently. But you can follow us to learn more about the work we do, visit www.ndrn.org.